This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Marina Sirdis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. Theo Greyhot. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer, and join with me today, from the future, is Richard Marquez. How are you today, Richard? Oh, I'm doing great. The, this whole blue stuff, I don't know, we're tapped in a stasis field or something like that. Can you get me out? <laughs> so before we bring in our special guest this week, we have some Babel Conference feedback from episode 215, which was about romantic relationships on The Next Generation. So uh, Tim Han said, always hope to see Picard eventually have a long-term love interest of his own after the tragedy of what happened to his brother and nephew killed in a fire. Wouldn't like to see the Picard family line end with him, thinking maybe Anige would be that woman for Jean-Luc to eventually settle down with after he possibly retired after Nemesis. On another note, many thanks Amy, Justin, and Richard for reading out my comment from the previous episode regarding Gowron the Lamb. It really caught me by surprise. Amy would read that out, so I can't thank you all enough for the kind interest you had in it. Sadly, I do not have any photos of little Gowron or when he grew to be a respectable size. It was way before phone cameras were a thing and didn't use a conventional camera at the time all that much. So very sorry. Many thanks again for your kind interest. <laughs> so thank you, Tim, for your comments. Uh, let me just talk first about the, the part about Picard and the, and the romantic uh, relationships. So yeah, it would have been nice on screen, I think, to see Picard have uh, a long-term love interest. I think, as I mentioned on the previous episode, it does happen in the novels with with Beverly Crusher, but, but yeah, it is kind of sad that, you know, by the time you see him in Nemesis, he's, he's still alone. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, it, it, um, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks yeah. to be a, a, a captain, um, especially on probably the busiest ship that's in the fleet. Um, it, you know, you would think that after, after that long of a career, uh, that you, you would realize that, Hey, you know, this is this part of my life um, it hasn't even begun in a sense, and you know maybe I should um, do something about that. You know, you know what I mean. I, I mean, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously he uh, he feels that uh, family's important, especially after losing Renee and his you know brother, um, yeah. and in generations that is. Uh, but like it's you would think that something like that would be very important to him even more so now than it ever was and just start re- and just retire and start doing that. I mean, cause yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, it, it feel it feel the importance of uh, you know continuing his family line, I guess. Yeah, because basically, by the time you hit Nemesis, he's over seventy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but I mean, then again, humans can live past a hundred, or you know, so McCoy and Encounter at Farpoint was like one hundred and thirty-seven or something like that. So there's still some time, and I'm glad that they do something about it in the novels. But he yeah. does still keep serving as as captain of the Enterprise, but. That's yeah. interesting to to think about. Um, it, <laughs> I could not imagine having kids at seventy. Oof, man. It, I mean, it happens now. So, but I mean, yeah, it's it's tough because you know that you probably won't, you know, get to to uh, experience being with your kids for a large part of their life, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could never. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> that that terrifies me now. <laughs> Seventy with children. <laughs> oh man, I can, I, I can see that. Yeah, and so uh, Tim, your other note about uh, Gowron the Lamb. Well, we just very much enjoyed seeing that comment, and we thought it was it was just a great thing that you had named a lamb uh, Gowron when when you were a kid. I guess it's okay if you don't have any photos. We'll just imagine uh, a lamb that has you know big oh, bulging gosh. eyes, right? <laughs> Don't they all have bulging eyes? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one especially so. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, thanks again for, for those comments. Uh, so Greg Malumbi uh, said, uh, good discussion. I wish we uh, would have had gotten more with Worf and Kalar. Suzy Plaxon brought a lot to the role. Overall, T- TNG didn't do relationships all that well. It was a more professional environment, so it felt like the focus of the series was kind of what kind of that work environment. I, I, I kind of agree with that. <laughs> um, in terms of relationships you missed, it started out creepy, but I always kind of like Jordy and Leia in Galaxy's Child. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things there. <laughs> so, yeah, I wish we would have gotten more of, of Worf and, and Kalar too, and I think I expressed it would have been interesting if you know they would have been able to, to be together and we would have seen, seen more of her because Susie Plaxon was pretty awesome in, in that role. Like, and as far as TNG and relationships, I don't think uh, they necessarily did long-term, more long-term relationships well. I mean, you did have some like um, uh, like Miles and Keiko, but mm, it, it wasn't as much. There was a lot more of that on, on Deep Space Nine. I think they, they did that better overall. But I think, you know, part of the... I, I guess that wasn't part of the point of what they were looking to do on the next generation to to get people together. Well, he he does bring up a good point that, uh, like unlike like Deep Space Nine, where it's you know everyone's everyone is practically in the same spot and everything and whatnot, and it, it this this could also go for um, even Enterprise. I mean, yeah, Enterprise, TOS, and also Voyager. That it's a it's a professional work environment. And, um, it, well, especially more so with, uh, with Voyager, <laughs> but like, you know, but Deep Space Nine is a professional work environment too, yeah, right? But, it, but it's a station, it's a station and you can at least leave. You know what I mean? Like you're not, it, it's not like, it's not like you're, mm. it's not like a, a, a starship where you're on duty for six months and you have to be remain on duty because you can't That's be true. replaced. You can't just go on vacation willy nilly just because, um, and mm. Uh, I can only, I mean, I, I can only imagine the, how uncomfortable that would be to have a relationship for that. I mean, in, you know, be out, I guess, not, not really, is it out to space? <laughs> not, not out to sea, but out to space. 
Yeah, I guess that I, would work. I, I guess so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like in the navy, uh, like terms of the navy. Um, you know, they call them out to sea, and in, in you know, basically out to space. Why not? You know, but like at the same time, it's like it's. It, I mean, I can only imagine how uncomfortable it is. I mean, I've never been on an, on a ship for more than a day, so it's not like <laughs> I would yeah. I would not know what that feels like. But I'm sure it's it's pretty awkward. Yeah. No, it's it, it's a good point. That you know, when you're flying around on on the Enterprise D or E, that you can't just you know go off somewhere around Deep Space Nine. You could just you know take a freighter or take right. a, a passenger vessel and just go off somewhere. Or you can yeah. build yourself a solar ship and you know find yourself in Cardassia. <laughs> Man, that's what I would do. That solar ship is awesome. Anyway, that's Deep Space Nine. Uh, <laughs> so the other comment. Um, so about uh, Jordy and Leia. So, yeah, I think that relationship is kind of creepy, and Jordy kind of gets what he deserves in Galaxy's Child when Leia Brahms shows up. So, but I don't know. I didn't think about it as as a relationship to to talk about because honestly, when I talk about Jordy's relationships, I get sad. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, another interesting note, like in. The novels at one point, Leia and Jordy do get together. So, anyway, in like a it dream? works out for him. <laughs> no, in reality, <laughs> it's weird that, though because yeah. I I haven't read all of the novels that are in between, so I don't know how it happens. But yeah, uh, lots of stuff out there. But yeah, we didn't really talk about Jordy. We've mostly focused on relationships from the point of view of Picard, Worf, Troy. But yeah, yeah, we, we may do another one in the future with more relationships. Majority of this time. Might be a short episode. <laughs> well, maybe we could... Well, he does have some different relationships. Maybe we could just talk about all of Jordy's relationships and see what went wrong in each one. <laughs> there you go. We could be like a, like a like a relationship counselor. There you go. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> Jordy, here's the le- lesson that you need to learn for next time. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely have to have Amy on that one for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Amy, awesome. what would be your advice for Jordy? Yeah, so Amy's out this week. We have a special guest today, Colin Higgins, and I'm even more in the future. Yeah, maybe in the future from the past, maybe staying in the future. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in my own causality loop. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us today, Colin. I think this might be your first time on Earl Grey. Is that right? It is, and um, I'm. Thanks for inviting me on. I've been really looking forward to this. Excellent. So, so since you haven't been on Earl Grey before and listeners might not be uh, familiar, uh, tell us about your history with uh, Trek FM and with Star Trek. Oh, okay. Um, well, Trek FM, I was the third show to join the network with Trek News and Views. Um, so when I joined, it was the Hyper Channel and the Ready Room. Um, and then Christopher Jones invited me over after seeing my tweets about suffering with Podbean. Um, he says, come join me on Trek FM. Bring a British voice. So I did. Um, and then I um, instigated Decades, which was a Star Trek Online uh, podcast, Melodic Treks. I instigated that, which was then taken over by Brandon. Um, and I've done a few episodes of The Ready Room and potted around here and there on various shows on, on Trek FM. Um, as for Star Trek, I've been watching Star Trek since I was about seven years old. So it was, it was on the reruns on um, BBC Two in the UK. 
and they reran TOS. My, I, it actually, my first episode of Star Trek was Spock's brain. Nice introduction, huh? Yeah, that was my very first episode. And you're still a fan? I'm still a fan. <laughs> it, it's a fun episode. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then um, obviously Next Generation came out, and I watched that. Um, that was on at 6 p.m. over here. So I used to get home from school and, and watch Next Gen. Um, so I actually watched it when it first aired. Mm. Uh, nice. And then I've watched every incarnation and every movie of Star Trek ever since. So today we have an interesting topic. I'm just going to explain it uh, a little bit. So I'd noticed that there are some uh, episodes in The Next Generation where there are people uh, from the past who are ending up in the future, in the 24th century of The Next Generation. And I thought it might be interesting to talk about those different episodes and those uh, experiences that, that we see those people have. Uh, there's actually uh, four episodes uh, that we'll be covering today. Uh, the Neutral Zone, The Emissary, A Matter of Time, and Cause and Effect. Um, and I've just put together some discussion questions. We'll just talk whatever comes to mind. Uh, but I thought it might be interesting as, as a way of connecting uh, a unique kind of, of time travel that, that we have here. And, and Colin, I think you, you had uh, chosen that from some topics that I had given you. What was it about that that interested you? I love time travel. I, I know a lot of people hate time travel, but I really like time travel. Because from a script writing point of view, it gives them, they can literally go anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. and if, if the, when they do time travel, like Time's Arrow, I mean, who'd have thought Mark Twain would have been in Star Trek? Yep. That's one of my favorite uh, two-parters, actually. Yeah. And it, it just it just allows the scriptwriters to to go to places, um, delve into history, or if they want to do something off off the track, like in Voyager, they can time travel to the twenty sixth century, and Enterprise they went to the thirtieth century. So it gives a lot of range and depth to a show when you can jump around the universe. Yeah, that, that's a good point, and I, I've always loved time travel as well for the possibilities it it opens up. And you know, in the next generation, you even have like an all good things cue taking. Uh, Picard billions of years in in the past to see you know life forming on Earth and um, and in other shows you you go further into the future. I think in um, what is it in uh, why am I blanking on the name of the episode? Living Witness. I, I think they actually go as far as like the thirty sixth or thirty seventh century or something like that, which is crazy. So it can be kind of all over the place, but uh, and it does open up a lot of possibilities. But for this in particular, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, people that are from some time in the past that are kind of, you know, waking up or ending up uh, in, in the future and they have to, you know, kind of deal with the consequences of being there. So the first one we'll be talking about is the neutral zone. Uh, I'll, it's a season finale of the, the first season of Next Generation. And I'll just give a little summary from, from Memory Alpha just to refresh everyone's memory. Uh, after rescuing three ancient humans from cryogenic stasis, the Enterprise-D is ordered to the Romulan neutral zone on an important mission. So the time travel aspect is you know, probably about half of, of this episode. But let me start with you, Colin. Like, overall impressions of, of, of this episode and you know, these 20th century humans ending up in the 24th century. Um, well, the main thing that hit me with this episode when it first aired was, oh my God, the Romulans are back. And mm -hmm. they are bigger and badder than ever. I mean, that 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 warship was huge, huge. 
you know. Oh yeah, much bigger than the Enterprise D. Yeah, and, and Mark Alamo, <laughs> uh, otherwise known as Gulta Cat, actually says, you know, he, he spreads his hands and says, "Behold, basically." Um, and then the the, mm-hmm. the humans waking up from cryogenics is like the, the B plot. Um, in some ways, I think it detracted from here are the Romulans, but in other ways, mm-hmm. it was it was Star Trek doing what Star Trek does and reflecting social issues. You had three very different people, and how them three very different people reacted to, oh my god, I woke up two three hundred years from where I started. And it was it was the character interaction and how they dealt with the future that was the social aspect, and then the Romulan aspect was what, as we know, was supposed to be the first of three episodes to introduce the Borg. Mm-hmm. But the writer strike messed that up. So you've got two two different storylines, and they are totally different. Um, and I've I think it works better if you watch them as two separate storylines rather than the overlap. Um, and it works better that way. Yeah, and I think that the the plot with the three humans, you know, waking up hundreds of years in the future, that was added as, I think, as a bit of an afterthought. As you said, because of the writer's strike, they had to scale back their ambitions for introducing the Borg there and had to do it another time. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll pretty much focus on the, that aspect of it, those humans, instead of, you know, the appearance of the Romulans, which was a huge deal uh, at the time. But uh, your overall thoughts on the neutral zone, Richard? Um, it, you know, honestly, it, it felt like a, a weak episode, to be quite honest. I mean, mm. uh, you know, with the reemerging of the Romulans, you'd think that after 50 years of no communication that they would actually focus more on that i mean i know that it so i actually rewatched it today and um just to just to get it get it get it fresh in my mind i mean i know the story pretty well but i just wanted to refresh my mind this morning and it just felt like that the um the three human or the well americans basically that's what it was <laughs> i think they are basically all americans yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, it screams american <laughs> um but like uh you know, I, I felt like that that was the A plot and the Romulans was the B plot. You know what I mean? Because hmm. it didn't feel as um, uh, it, it, you would think that something, a story that big would be on a grand scale. But it didn't feel like that. Um, it just felt like, oh, OK. Um, so back to the humans <laughs> or back to the Americans, you know, sort of thing. And it's 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 mm-hmm. a I think it's a very fun episode to, for someone to like be basically blasted into the future so to speak and um and to wake up into this future that's you know beyond anything that i'm sure that they they even imagined um but like yeah i mean it just it was a yeah it was a it was that one of the, kind of those stories uh, when it, especially when it came to the romulans so you think it'd be better or bigger so that's interesting because I, I i like the episode quite a bit i mean it does feel a little odd with these two things that are that are going on but i think the ability to reflect on what in the Star Trek universe has changed from the 20th century to the 24th century uh, is interesting. And also, you know, I put myself in, in their position, like, what would it be if all of a sudden, you know, I woke up and it was 370 years in the future? How? I, I mean, I think the initial reaction of the people seems fairly calm. They don't kind of freak out until a little bit later, but I think I'd freak out immediately. I'd be like, oh my God, everybody I know is dead. I have no idea what's going on and nobody's telling me anything or, or whatever. So Colin, like 
just put yourself in their shoes. If that happened and it was 370 years in the future, what do you think your reaction would be? Um, I, I, I probably would. I mean, my first reaction would have been like, obviously to wolf, because you know when I went to when I went to sleep, um, then there was aliens were speculation, and we hadn't even right. left our solar system, and here I am waking up, and who the hell is this creature? That would have been. Deferred. I think they reacted way too calmly to Wolf and Data. Well, Claire does faint when yeah. she sees Worf, but <laughs> we don't see the reaction of the other people. No, but you would think they would be like, uh, "What is going on?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, but the, the fact that they chose three Americans uh, adds mm-hmm. another slant to it um, because some of the comments. They, I mean, they made the comments about baseball, which, while being big in America, isn't big anywhere else um in fact in hungary yeah. they changed the baseball reference to dallas for some bizarre reason so, dallas like the show dallas yeah that's the, the show dallas <laughs> because in hungary they could relate to that more than yeah, baseball. they can relate to dallas more than they can relate to baseball so <laughs> um that's but yeah I, I think the, the guy who who was basically obsessing over his money mm-hmm. that would not have been my first motive um the woman who thinks oh my god everyone's dead you you got the music guy who just basically wants to get high you know he spent 300 years in in cryogenic refrigeration where can i get drugs (laughs) (laughs) yep he wants some alcohol which you know it would probably be legal and and you know they would probably like make it like synthahol and you could do it but not kill yourself, and then on top of that, in your mind, you could stop it from uh, from actually doing the the effects. I wouldn't doubt it if it's illegal. Well, that that, t- that ties into the fact that this is supposed to be in the future, and things have moved on for this since this episode was actually filmed. Because cannabis now in some states in America is legal, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and in certain European countries, it, it's legal for medicinal purposes. Yeah. And clearly in this episode, they had an anti-drug message, I think, where, you know, Crusher's talking to somebody and she's like, I can't understand why they would have done that back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. well, it, w- one thing you mentioned I wanted to to, to pick up on, um, Colin, is, you know, the three people are, are Americans. And I wonder, you know, how the reaction might have been different or how the episode might have been different if they were, you know, British or Russian or Chinese or from South Africa or Brazil or something like that, you know? Well, I've, the reason it worked for me as, as Americans is because, as far as I know, the only cryogenic companies are in America. Ah, uh, okay. So, you know, I think is it Amcor is the one. Um, I can't think what the other one's called. But there's no cryogenic companies in the UK. So mm, It's only ba- in the US. Yeah. So, basically, if you wanted to get froze, you'd have to go to America anyway. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and at the time in the eighties, there was only two countries launching into space. That was Russia and America. Mm, okay. So there's only one country doing cryogenic refrigeration, and only two countries that can put you in space. So that to me didn't bother me. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that, but I guess I guess you're right. You're right about that. Although they talk about you know cryogenics becoming such a big thing that they're you know these huge companies and people are making a lot of money on their stocks and all that. So uh, they, I guess they were projecting that it would become maybe a bigger thing than, than it has become. Yeah. I mean, at least they didn't talk about root beer every five minutes like they're doing DS9. 
<laughs> What's wrong with root beer? <laughs> you don't get root beer it's anywhere insidious. else but America. Really? You guys don't get it there either? No, really? when, when DS9 come on and started talking about root beer, I had to Google it. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Of course, us being in America, we're like, root beer is not everywhere? Yeah. <laughs> huh. I hadn't thought about that. I'm going to start a company there and bring it to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> root beer to the UK. Yeah, gap in the market. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, one of the things in this episode, and maybe the, one of the first times I talk about in The Next Generation, is talking about how economics have changed and how there's no need for you know money or acquisition of wealth and you can do the things that you want to do and of course the guy who's the financier is like what do i do with this so i I think it's kind of interesting to think about you know that huge contrast between you know the the 20th century and then now and 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 the 24th century I, i would think if you woke up that far in the future and the future was like that it I don't know. We we think, you know, it would be great to have this kind of of society, but there would be I think a lot of things that would have to change for that to take place. And I might be surprised if it was actually like that in a, a couple of hundred years, but I mean, what do you think about, you know, highlighting those those differences and and talking a little bit more about the economics of the TNG era? Well, we had the in, in TOS they established that we don't use money anymore. Well, I think the first time was in Star Trek Four. Yeah, but yeah. then when you go to DS Nine, there's Federation credits. Mm-hmm. And well, because they're because on DS Nine they're not in the Federation, I think. But yeah. it's but it's not quite explained. So the the financer could have you know took a shuttle to Ferenginari, the city writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He could go somewhere else and 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 make make some money. Um, what's interesting is there's actually a follow-up novel about that guy, Ralph Offenhaus, who's the uh, financier, and he ends up becoming a Federation ambassador who deals with the Ferengi, <laughs> oh, which I think is kind fitting. of appropriate. That's very fitting. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, I think it, at least in the novel, he, he finds his way to do things, but, but you're right, like, uh, you know, Picard could have explained, well, we don't do it that way in the Federation, but if you want to take your chances somewhere else... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> what do you reference it again? I mean, we've got the benefit of hindsight, obviously, but in, in um, Star Trek First Contact, he says to Lily about finances of the future are different. We work to better mm-hmm. ourselves. You mean yeah. you don't yeah. get paid? You don't get paid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, they're presented with this situation where they don't have to worry about that and they have to figure out, you know, what to do. And I wonder, like Richard, if if that happened and you woke up in a, a future where you didn't have to worry about making money and you could do kind of what you wanted to do, like what what would you do with your your time in that future? Hmm. Play all the board games. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I mean, you it, have to think about it. it I mean, that's I the situation they're in. They're like. For all of my life, I've had to worry about you know making money and making a living. I'm gonna have to think about this for a while. I don't know what I would do. You know, I mean, I would. I mean, probably like in the next 370 years, like you said, um, in the future, um, practically all of Earth will be uh, pretty much populated, and um, basically every mm. animal is hunted or what or i don't know i mean i really don't know but like i mean i you know that's funny you mentioned that's funny that ha- uh you guys mentioned that because everybody would be dead 
<laughs> that I know. <laughs> I mean, besides yeah. my like ancestors or not ancestors, my descendants. Yeah, descendants. There you go, like <laughs> grandchildren and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. like, um, I was just actually talking to my daughter about uh, about this. Uh, she was like, "Well, what would happen if if everybody was gone, Dad? Like Jennifer, me, Dad, uh, Grandpa, Grandma, everyone." I'm like, hmm. And it's funny because my wife actually asked me this a long time ago too. I would, I would actually probably move to Alaska because I absolutely love the wilderness. Um, I love, uh, I, I absolutely love being out there in the middle of nowhere and um, doing survival stuff and and whatnot and just being out there in the middle of the wilderness. Uh, but um, hmm. yeah, that's something I would. I mean, I guess I would have to find a planet that's either uninhabited and you know probably die there but, <laughs> but well if it is yeah. the star trek future there's lots of you know colonies and other planets out there yeah so, so yeah, yeah that's all that's ultimately there wouldn't, what there I wouldn't would be do. much point going to alaska because well yeah. yeah i mean yeah i mean 370 years from now yeah i don't know what it would look like but i get guarantee it wouldn't be like what it is now um i mean there's still plenty yeah. of wildlife that are in lots of unexplored land that's still there um but not as much probably in 300 years <laughs> hmm, yeah so what about you colin what what kind of uh things would you do i mean given the fact that once i got my head around the fact that i was 350 years into the future which would <laughs> be a major buzz major major buzz i'd be thinking oh wow um being a geek and a nerd i'd probably like want to know what technology's happened in the 350 mm. years, what we've what we've achieved, where, and then when someone tells you about warp drive and you can get on a starship and go from one end of the solar system to the other in 40 minutes, you know, you're gonna thinking, okay, so I'd probably explore. Mm. I would probably explore. Um, obviously, you haven't got to pay for it because there's no monetary system. You know, if you want something to eat, you just walk up to a replicator and ask it. So you ain't got to worry about the money. So yeah, I'd probably. I'd probably seriously explore. Um, I wouldn't do like the woman does and try and reconnect with my family because I think it, I probably some of them wouldn't be bothered because they wouldn't know you're from Adam. Literally. Yeah. You know, so you'd be like their great, 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 great granddad who they don't know anything about. Yeah, imagine if somebody from like 1650 who was one of your ancestors came to the present day and they were like, Colin, I want to get to know you. I mean, their world is completely different, yeah. right? Mm. And you'd also be thinking BS. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. You know, but in the future, they they obviously, you know, in, in Star Trek, they know about time travel and stuff like that. So they probably would have been mm. more to be able to get their head around the fact that this, this is someone from your theoretical past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, 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 her descendant would probably be like, Oh, yeah, like that thing I read about in this novel over here. Okay, I can accept that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it must happen sometimes. Yeah, interesting. And I, I dare the say the Academy don't teach about Kirk slingshotting around the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Stolen by Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It seems like they might have the means to actually send them back to the past, but... They never really yeah. even talk about that. <laughs> would you want to go? Like, That's the thing, though, Justin. If you would, you go back to the past if they could send you back. I don't think that I I would because, like, at that point, if you do go back to the past, like the the future that you're in, part of it is predicated upon you being missing for like 350 years, right? Mm-hmm. So if you went back to the past, then it would be a new timeline. It would change things, and you know, 
I would be like, all right, I'm just going to accept this. So, yeah, well, maybe that, I that's wouldn't. an interesting comment because by waking these people up, have they then altered the timeline from that point on? Uh, like only in the sense that any action that you take in the presence alters what happens in the future, but it's not a different timeline because it's not something from the past that's affecting things and then splitting off the timeline from, from there on. It's just, this is the present and something like, like it's a little weird to talk about this because they're time traveling in the sense that like they've been frozen. They don't know anything for 370 years and then they wake up, but they've actually been there the whole time. They've just been frozen, right? Yeah. But if, if, if they hadn't woke them up, say for argument's sake, one of them procreates. Then well, they would have died anyway because they would have gone to that binary star system, right? Yeah. yeah. But no, the future does change because they wake them up instead yeah. of you know letting it oh, drift off yeah. into, into a sun. But that's the same way that any action that you take changes the future in, in some way. Yeah, you the know, like effect. Yeah, even having this podcast at a certain time instead of half an hour later might change certain things in the future, right? So, yeah. But but it is interesting that Data makes that that decision and later Picard is like, they were already dead. What's the worst thing that could have happened? <laughs> He's like, well, it seemed like a good decision at the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, I, I, th- I think it's... Yeah, it, it may not be the strongest episode, but I think it's it's very interesting in putting yourself in their shoes and, and seeing. I might you think about this episode as well is the fact that Crusher actually saves someone. <laughs> three people. Yeah, three <laughs> saves people, three yeah. people. She does save people, but Pulaski's that must have been like be pre Enterprise or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, she gets hit with some tough situations. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So the next one we'll be going on and talking about is the Emissary. Of course, not to be confused with Emissary from Deep Space Nine. So the Enterprise crew has to deal with a Klingon sleeper ship whose occupants don't know the Federation and Klingons are at peace. On board to help them is an Emissary who, coincidentally, is one of Worf's former love interests. So this is probably most well known as the first episode where we see Kalar. Um, But, you know, part of what... um, motivating her to be there or the reason for her being there is that this Klingon there's this Klingon ship that's been found they've been in cryogenic sleep for 75 years back when the Federation and the Klingons um, weren't at peace I guess they're still in a, a state of war at that point um, and that they're worried that when they wake up they'll just start attacking some Federation outposts I, let me just ask um, you know for impressions on on this episode you know overall uh, Colin? Overall, I liked it. There's some parts of it that make me scratch my head, like why Susie Blackstone arriving in a torpedo. Um, I, didn't, I didn't get that. They couldn't have a starship? They couldn't have a starship, to, yeah. And, to, uh, to, that was available, and so they launched her in a torpedo. Yeah, can, um, but it is kind of weird, like launch you at warp 9 in a, in a torpedo. I don't think we see that anywhere else in no. Star Trek that I know of. That, that, that was very bizarre. That they'd do that. Um, and the other thing is the, the ending. Um, spoilers, folks. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like there's only two Klingons on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Yet all the Klingons believe that it's a Klingon ship because, you know, the Klingons are at peace because there's two Klingons on the ship. Well, I, I, I interpreted it as there are two Klingons and they're kind of commanding this Federation ship, and that means that uh, that they're 
at, at peace and that, you know, people can serve on each other's ships. It was maybe a little un- unclear. Maybe Worf's just that convincing, but, uh, yeah, but it is we, a bit. Klingons probably wouldn't think like that. Yeah. You know, Klingons are like, bat left first, think second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought they would have just kept uh, attacking until they got destroyed because, you know, they have an old ship with inferior weapons. The Enterprise could probably destroy them, but... But yeah, yeah, that part's a but little But that's, that's the other thing on all these. We, we've seen in various episodes where, where the order goes out from whichever captain to take out the weapon system. Mm-hmm. So they could have just done that. I mean, that ship was like so old, the Enterprise would have just, could have quite easily annihilated it. Hmm. That's true. I mean, Picard didn't want to annihilate it, but they could have just targeted the weapon yeah, systems just or disabled it. the engines or something, right? Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a good point. I one thing actually about this episode that I think is maybe a little odd is like why are they in cryogenic sleep for seventy five years? Like what happened? What was the purpose? A malfunction, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> actually, maybe I should ask Richard like your overall impression of the episode. Uh again, it's another one of those B plots. I mean, that's. I mean, it uh, it turns out that it wasn't it wasn't a big. I mean, obviously. It, it starts the whole story, but it, I mean, obviously it's more about Worf than anything else, but like, um, yeah, it's a, I, I mean, I guess, um, what, what was that episode in Enterprise? Was it, uh, Augments? Is that what it, uh, basically, no, not Augments. Um, what, what are you talking about? The arc with the Augments or yeah, the one with the Klingon? The, with the Klingons. I, I, for some reason I thought they're, oh, I'm thinking the TOS and TNG, um, stuff where they uh where they try to explain the forehead and everything that's right never mind. oh yeah <laughs> well i mean that's the the enterprise two-parter uh yeah with i know which one you mean yeah it's it's just yeah it, it was for some reason it was reminding me about that and um that that these guys were uh, obviously not not really remnants of those people but yeah anyway <laughs> no because it's uh, 75 years before i think they're coming from 2290 so this is in the mm. middle between like star trek 5 and 6 i think mm. so it makes sense that they'd have the the ridges although it kind of looks like they have the same exact same uniform that you would see in the tng era but yeah you would th- yeah you would think that it would be like like tos or something like that <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they update their computer. I mean, it's the, well, what you see in TNG for the Klingons is based on the TOS movie era, so yeah, yeah. I guess it kind of makes sense, but it did look more like what you would see on TNG. Yeah, but it was also um, blurry. I don't know if you saw that because I actually this is also another episode I watched before, um, right after that one, um, that the the ship was actually blurry. I don't know if you it didn't look like yeah, it was yeah. a little blurry. It was because it was the the ship from uh, Star Trek the Motion Picture. Is it really? Or was yeah. it? Yeah, that's what okay. it is. It's the shit so from they Star Trek the <laughs> Yeah, copy and paste, yeah. Yeah, yeah probably. So, yeah, yeah. The, the actual shit was from Star Trek the Motion Picture, and they just, um, you know, blottened it up a bit with a few special effects and that. But it's basically the same ship you see attacking Vija. Well, that makes sense hmm. then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I guess one question I have is, so the motivator for Kalar to be there is that there's this Klingon sh- sleeper ship that's going to wake up after 75 years. I mean, Richard, does that work as a motivator for Kalar to be there or would it have been better if there was a different reason for her to to, to be on the Enterprise? No, I think it was a good story. I mean, I, 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 I really think it's a good story. I mean, it it's a great way to introduce her and um, uh, I... 
I mean, I mean, what make what better uh, what better person to you know debrief, uh, debrief the Enterprise than you know the Klingon ambassador who you know needs mm-hmm. who has firsthand knowledge, I'm sure, of what's going on. So, um, but yeah, I th- I think it was good. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, I've, I'm actually curious, Colin. Like, so at the end of the episode, Kalar boards this this Klingon ship, and it's going to take three days for them, I think, to get to to Kronos. Like, what's she going to do during those three days to help adjust them to the 24th century? Yeah, bring them up to speed. Just to, just what like a history lesson of what's happened in the last 75 yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, or? so when they went into hibernation, then um, I mean, even though Klingons live 200 years, they probably got through a few chancellors in that time because they like to kill each other. Yeah. Mm. Um, also, she'll also have to bring them up to speed that Klingons um, no longer kill each other to get promotion so, I thought they still do that in the TNG era like well, they, when Riker kind of, visits a Klingon ship well we had that episode where Riker swap ships mm-hmm. um, and he, he didn't actually kill anyone they just beat each other up that's true but I think that he was saying that that's still what that think you can still assassinate to get to the top okay. but maybe i probably yeah. that. they're probably just being nice to him because he's human <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah and she, i mean she, she's gonna have to give him basically a history lesson um mm-hmm. so by the time that they got back to Kronos, they would have had at least an inkling of what's been going on right but i mean i mean i don't know what the crew compliments on, on that ship i should imagine it was maybe a hundred people you know, it's so that's, that's a lot of people to bring up to speed in three. I'm hours. imagining like like a big auditorium, on, yeah. <laughs> on the ship, and she's like lecturing them about Klingon history. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm trying to imagine. Like, would it really be a history lesson, or would she have to to um, to convey it in a different? I, mean, I can't think of a different way, but I'm just trying to think of Klingons trying to pay attention to like a history lecture. <laughs> yeah, and I can't really see Klingons sitting through a history lecture myself. <laughs> Maybe it was a bit like um, in the motion picture where Kirk did the. The speech on the on the deck to the whole crew. That's exactly what I was just thinking. I was I was just having mm. that image in my head. Of like, oh yeah, that would be just like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, what about when she gets to the point where she has to, or someone has to tell them that they've been deceived and that they weren't really commanding the Enterprise? You know, <laughs> like it, so when I was watching when I when I when this episode ended and they said that who's um whatever ship what's the ship's name um that was going to uh, meet them in three days. Was it the Prang? That was the name of one of the ships. One of the, yeah, whatever Klingon ship it is. Um, but like, um, like I was just thinking, I was like, how is she going to be able to keep them occupied for three days before that ship gets there? Because they're going to find out eventually, and they probably will kill her. Do you think? Th- yeah. Well, well I, I guess for that era they wouldn't have a holodeck because I was thinking like load Worf's calisthenics program and keep them busy, but <laughs> probably don't have a holodeck like that. Well, Probably you could not. have a feast. I mean, they haven't eaten for like you know a few years. Well, you would think that the Enterprise yeah. would just stay there until uh, stay in position until, the, or at least show the ship coming in. <laughs> you know. Yeah, there, there is that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I just wonder about that, like how that, how that would go <laughs> for a couple of days, or how much they might accept her. I mean, also, does she tell them at a certain point that she's half human, and what would they think of that? Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, did they establish she was half human in this one? Yes, she. Yeah, yes. they did. Yeah, because yeah. they. Um, what was it? Um, uh, Pulaski said that uh, asking her if she was all right, and that's when she. Oh yeah, and she yeah. said, oh, yeah, when she fights, and she human. says, "Oh, I'm half yeah. human." Yeah, right. Half Klingon Does she tell them that? <laughs> yeah, 
I think probably not. Probably not. Dude, that probably wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> no. But the other, the other problem you've got is, is obviously you come out of hibernation, the first thing you would do would be to contact the home world and update mm-hmm. your logs and stuff. So if they did a download... As we saw in Discovery. <laughs> yeah. As you do, yeah, as you saw in Discovery, yeah. So if they did a download and updated the maps and everything, they're going to be thinking, mm, someone's telling Porky there. You know, there's no Klingons on any other ship except for Worf, and he's not a captain. <laughs> right. Yep. So that would have took, what, an hour? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Be an interesting cruise home. Well, they got a lot of updates to go through. 75 years worth of updates? I mean... I, mean, that's I wonder lot. if she gives them the updates, they they get angry, and she finds a way, you know, somehow <laughs> to to uh, put them back in cryogenic sleep until <laughs> they get back to Corona. Yeah, just just in know. case have the air conditioning filtered with the nystocin gas. Yeah, exactly. Just in case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nice. I mean, when they went to sleep, they were probably on Windows 300, and when they woke up, it was Windows 1000. <laughs> 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 or whatever the Klingon equivalent is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's. I mean it, it's it's kind of like what you see in in relics where Scotty's missed like seventy five years of of technology and he's trying to get up to speed. It would take a while, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Scotty approaches yeah. it in his usual manner. Let's get a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you? After seventy five years, I would. Yeah, <laughs> I'd actually I'd be like Scotty. None of that symphail stuff. <laughs> the real stuff, yeah. Okay, so I, I think it's, um, you know, an, an interesting episode and interesting to think about how these Klingons would adjust. You guys have any other thoughts about the emissary? Um, I I want that calisthenic uh, program. I think that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, how obviously. many levels? How many levels does it have? Levels one and two look pretty difficult. And where? And when do you stop? <laughs> like, you know. I mean, level one on your own seems to be pretty difficult. Level two, I'm sure, you know, with, with two people, it's fine. But, like, we're, at what point do you stop? Do you die? <laughs> like, in, or or does the program save your butt and, and stops the program right before, you, uh, before it kills you? Well, it's like that It's like that bit in DS9 when he gets with, um, when he keeps having to go into sick bay to get Bashir to fix him up after they've had sex. Mm. because they've broken each other's bones and, and this, that, and the other. Yeah. So mm. if if he gets his bones broken having sex, how bad is his calinetics program? And how often does he go and see Crusher? Because <laughs> he's breaking bones <laughs> in the program. Yeah. I mean, does he have the safeties off? Could he die? You know? <laughs> yeah, Wolf would have the safeties off. Where's the, where's the challenge otherwise? Right. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Come in with, without an arm or something like that. You're getting blood on the damn garbage. Yeah. <laughs> he's like he walks in with a broken arm and limping and all that and crushes his chair and he goes hello deck <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yep. <laughs> you would think they have like a med- medic right outside the door anyway <laughs> just in case just in case yeah yeah no guy is just waiting outside the door oh yeah, yeah we never see her all the time in the uh, in the in sick bay so there she is <laughs> yeah that's why she's, she's never like in sick bay psychiatrist booth war. right outside the uh, the holodeck <laughs> Ready for Worf. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our third episode that we'll be talking about, which is A Matter of Time, which is in season five. So the summary is a time traveler claiming to be from the 26th century arrives to witness an attempt to save a doomed planet. 
So, uh, Colin, initial thoughts on this episode? Well, I watched this when it first aired. Um, when I say it first aired, when it first aired over here, which was like six months after it aired in the USA. Um, but we didn't have the internet then, so you couldn't get spoiled. Um, and I thought there was something a bit sus about him from the start when mm-hmm. I first watched it. Um, and then you rewatch it and then you notice the cool things. And the reason that you notice these things is because you've got a benefit of hindsight. But the thing that made me a bit sus was the fact that when he beams onto the ship, um, he makes a point in Picard moving. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me was an authority thing. So he wants be, he could have beamed anywhere on that ship. He could have he didn't have to beam onto the bridge and he didn't have to beam to where the captain's standing. So the first thing he does is make the captain move. So he's okay. he's doing an authority thing straight away. And then he's very, very evasive um, in the fact that he can't interfere. But by being there, he's interfering because he's making exactly. a guess. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why nobody on the crew was like, okay, you say you want to observe and not interfere, but if you're really from the future, you have interfered by definition. So yeah. what's going on? Yeah, and I don't want to detract you from your duties, but can you do this questionnaire? yeah Uh, yeah it is a little odd but so i mean so you knew there was something suspect but the first time you saw it did you realize that what was actually happening was he was from the past and not the future no i didn't i didn't get that he was from the past i I, I genuinely thought when i first watched it he was from the future and he had an ulterior motive Um, but when you get the reveal then you think ah right but then you start thinking well if he's got a time sheep from the 26th century. Mm-hmm. Why travel to the 24th century to steal technology? Why not go to the 26th? Mm. I mean, maybe because in the 26th century, they have things like time ships and would be able to detect that he's actually from the past. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Or does the fact that he's he's only jumped a few hundred years, so you could invent something that's not too advanced. Or maybe mm. that was next on the, on the stop list. On the stop list, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's scheduled to leave at this time. <laughs> yeah, if it, I got to go. If it, it didn't work out here, so I'm going to go to the 23rd century. <laughs> I'm out of time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so Richard, you know what uh, are your overall impressions of the episode, and did it surprise you that he was from the past the first time you saw it? Um, I don't really remember the first time I watched this episode. I'm sure I was surprised because I mean this whole entire this whole entire thing is. Um, you, uh, uh, you, you think that he would have something like you know, like the Men in Black have, like a, you know, uh, oh, erases your like memory, erase your memory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you you think he had something like that. I mean, it is the 26th century. If they're looking at, if they're observing people anyway, uh, you would think that either they have a cloaking device that you know shields the uh, the his entire ship, or he has some kind of memory erasing device. Of some sort, and of course, he could penetrate any technology, you know, from the previous past. So, um, but yeah, I I really really like this episode. Um, I, I I can't remember his name. The the Matt act- Frewer who the, plays Rasmussen. Yeah, I love him in everything. He's he's so great. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I I remember being I I, I can imagine being surprised uh, um, watching this for the first time, and I absolutely love his acting. He's great. So how do you Absolutely. think it would have worked then if Robin Williams had done it? 
I heard he was going to do it. He might yeah, have done we, it. We talked about that in a previous <laughs> Earl Grey, and I think we agreed that it would have been a little distracting mm-hmm. that it was Robin Williams. His, I mean, what do you think, yeah. Colin? Would that have been yeah, I great? Because he's too energetic. Yeah. Yeah. So I think be bouncing he bouncing off the walls. Yeah. He would have been too energetic. Um, even if he toned it down, he would have been, you know, the, the difference with Rasmus is he's, he's, he's controlled in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's, he's slightly manic because he's on the edge. Well, he's controlled except when it comes to stealing too much stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I, I think I think the script would actually would have changed for him because uh, mm. he probably, I mean, being the character that, well, that he was, um, that it would have turned into like time travel is like space madness or turns into, you know, time madness or something like that. I could see something like that mm. happening to or happening in the episode for Ron Williams if he were to play it and um, and whatnot and, you know, trying to get back to that, um, I, I, trying to get out of that psychosis of time travel and everything. So I think that would actually work for him in that way because they would have to change it like that. But the way that they wrote it, this was perfect for for um, for who who did it. So, so have you two watched Doctor Who? I haven't except for little bits. Okay. One of the other, go ahead. I'm sure a lot of people, our listeners have. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure some of them have. Um, one of the other people that was in the frying for it was Tom Baker. Who played Doctor Who? He was the Doctor Who with a very, very long scarf. Mm. Oh, so so he auditioned for this role. Yeah, as he auditioned for this role as well. Okay. Uh, mm. When they realised Robbie Williams couldn't do it, they auditioned, and he auditioned for it. And it was between him and the one who actually got it. Then Matt Frewer. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. Mm. So I think he would have been a bit more um, studious in the role. So mm-hmm. I think I think the casting was right for this, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I think it I think it works really well. You know, one thing that that you know strikes me in in rewatching this that didn't the first time I saw it was that he's from the twenty second century and Enterprise takes place in the twenty second century. So you know, is what we see here with Rasmussen and some of the uh, you know discussions that that they have about the difference between. You know, and they do mention some things about the 22nd century, even though they don't know he's in the past. Does it kind of fit with that, or what do you think in terms of, you know, comparing it to a bit to Enterprise and what we see there? Well, I mean, you, you could you could actually play this um, to actually help explain some things in Enterprise. If this wasn't the first time he'd done this, mm-hmm. and he'd already brought technology back, then that would explain how how she's got a universal translator. Which mm. wasn't introduced until TOS because they actually built it in TOS. Yeah. So that could ex- they could take. I mean, they didn't, but they could have used it to explain that. Um, mm-hmm. But then the the other side of the coin is is the fact that um, some of the stuff he steals wouldn't have worked anyway because he steals Geordie's visor, which doesn't work without the implants. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. And he also doesn't apparently doesn't realize what happens at the end, which is as soon as the door opens, the computer deactivates everything inside. <laughs> yeah. Which conveniently so never does when the Enterprise is boarded. Hmm. Yeah. So if, but, if, but it if can if do it for a 26th century of, time ship. No, but I mean, it, turn, it disables <laughs> the phaser, the pad, the tricorder. Mm-hmm. And so if it can disable the phasers, then... When someone boards, why doesn't the ship just disable all the weapons? 
That's a good question, unless they had to specifically program it because of their suspicions to disable anything inside of the timeship. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're, kind of, they're probably just, this is us. What we'll do is we'll set this program up and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, that would, that would make sense, yeah. yeah. Maybe. I mean, the one thing I think of is, you know, that he's, I think he says eventually admits that the, this timeship from the future just showed up in the 22nd century and he took it over. That, I mean, that kind of makes sense with what we see in Enterprise where there's this temporal Cold War and people are traveling from the future to affect the 22nd century, right? Yeah. Mm. Well, that's, that's the other flaw of this discussion. He's trapped in the 24th century and he's from the 22nd century. So mm-hmm. by the same token, as a guy from the 26th century who's trapped in the 22nd century. I think that's true unless he killed him. But yeah, there is a guy that's trapped in, must be trapped in the past. Yeah. yeah. It's a guy that's underneath the bridge in Voyager. or wherever he was (laughs) yeah i mean but some of the other things that they because they're having this discussion about the 22nd century and some vessel and and i think they're asking like what what is the biggest change uh, since the 22nd century i think Worf says you know having phasers and Riker says something about a warp coil and crusher says about you know, having still having to use masks and gloves. Some of that stuff might align with Enterprise and other things not, but it's interesting they were just throwing the stuff out that they thought would change in the 200 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had a, they had a type of tricorder in Enterprise. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever seen Flux wear a mask, though. Mm-mm. No, I don't think we did. But they do talk about quarantine field, and they do, I guess, have that in, in Enterprise where you have to like be in this chamber when you beam back until you ha- can you know join the rest of yeah, the ship and, so and that use the magic cream. Yeah. <laughs> the, magic, the magic cream, yeah, I that know. everyone it's, has to be rubbed down on. Yeah. <laughs> Even the dog. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't put something in the air to do that. It has to be applied by yeah. hands. <laughs> and, and also, if if you're a woman rubbing the cream on, you have to strip down to basically nothing. But if you're a man rubbing the cream on, you don't have to do your arms and legs. <laughs> yeah yep pretty much um so anyway I, I just think it's interesting that they chose that particular uh particular period of time to to talk about um did what, you, one other thing i wanted to talk looked oh, futuristic did the what do you think the timeship looked futuristic i mean it, it looked kind of blocky i mean it looked like it was made with legos maybe but um i don't know if it because it's it's you know it's it's a little bit hard to tell and and the interior was just kind of you know bright and had some weird colors but i i don't know if it did what do you think richard uh looks like something my daughter would make (laughs) like (laughs) like the 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 metal look it looks like what what is that that confetti shiny um stuff that um uh, actually i have it here in my basement that's probably what they used <laughs> but like uh that's what it looked like to me i mean it looked like something my daughter would uh would piece together i mean it didn't look really futuristic i i, I agree it looked too blocky <laughs> it looked like <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I... It looked like something they had to throw together in a few days. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It looked like there was enough room just for for the pilot, and that's about pretty much about it. And for him to walk around a little bit. But that's just about it. (laughs) But that's how you make everything futuristic. You add silver. 
<laughs> Some more silver. And it's yeah. got to be shiny. It's got to be shiny, yeah. It's not futuristic but, towels. I mean, shiny. Yeah, but when you think about like Voyager and Future's End with the time ship that Starling has, that looks mm. maybe a little more believable, but they probably spent more time on but it. But it doesn't have to be aerodynamic. Or the Wells class. <laughs> the what? The Wells it doesn't class. have to be aerodynamic. <laughs> Yeah, that's tr- that's true. Yeah, but you don't need that's aerodynamics because you, you you're just going through time. Oh, and okay. Maybe maybe they need to be aerodynamic in the time. Well, it needs to be in Voyager. It needs to be aerodynamic. So when you go through the window of your office building and go into space, <laughs> it can, <laughs> could be aer. I don't know. But but yeah, the I mean the 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 door opening and some of the stuff is cool, but I don't know if it, they spent much time on it. So one other thing I wanted to talk about is, I mean, I think we mostly think about this as the episode with this guy Rasmussen who we think is from the future but is actually from the past. But there's also this decision that Picard has to make about the fate of this world that's been affected by an asteroid strike and how they might intervene to correct a problem that they've they've created. I mean, do you think Rasmussen actually knows ab- about this thing that's going to happen or is he just, just winging it and just trying to kind of go with it that something important's going to happen. Oh, for sure winging it. Yeah. I think so. Oh yeah. But he do, he does seem to know some things like he does seem to know some things about the Enterprise crew without them telling him about it. Well, I should imagine a time ship has got a database on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it has like a historical database. Yeah, so he he probably says at such and such but, time the Enterprise was here, which is why he went there. Yeah. So it has a historical database, but not schematics for like a tricorder or from yeah. the 24th century or something like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's, like good you, you read... That's good thinking. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's like if you, read, um, if you read a history book, it will tell you about a battle, but it doesn't tell you what they yeah. used to fight the battle. Yeah, but that's a that's a book. I mean, we're talking about like an actual computer, you know, that ex- that has almost er- anything and everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, you'd think if it was a time ship that's meant to travel into the past, that it would have you know useful schematics and data for where you might go. But I don't know. Maybe some of that information gets lost or something. But... Or even like a replicator that would actually replicate things that you would need in that time frame. <laughs> yeah, you know to what I mean? huh? yeah, to blend in. Yeah. To blend in, yeah. Well, yeah, because in uh, First Contact, Picard walks into the lift and size computer, 21st century, century clothing. clothing. Yeah, and it, and it makes it. Yeah. That's true. So why couldn't he in this 26th century time ship say, you know, computer, make a 24th century tricorder, <laughs> and then he could bring it back to the 22nd century as something that's believable. What, didn't he say he reverse engineered? Something about because didn't he confront like um, uh, when he confronted Data in the time ship that he was going to reverse engineer and and like basically you know come up with all these stuff all of a sudden you know like an invention mm-hmm. every year or something like that or yeah yeah I think he says that yeah maybe that maybe that's the reason why he didn't want to go too far into the future so he wouldn't be able to figure it so he at least be able to figure it out yeah and it would look a believable invention. You mean not Ooh. something that's wrapped in, uh, Silver. in silvery uh, yeah. wrapping paper? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like exactly. if, it's like if you wanted um, to take a Voyager episode, um, the the guy who is basically Steve Jobs. Mm. right? Henry now, Starling. If, if he'd have invented a computer from the 30th century, then it would have been so far ahead of everything that no one would have been able to build it. That's true. So he, Rasmus wanted to introduce things that were 
believe I would that I would be able to build, so it could be mass produced. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So I wanted, but before we go on to the next episode, I just wanted to add things. So the end of the episode, you know, Picard uh, is basically telling Rasmussen that he has to he has to stay (laughs) he can't go back to the past and he says welcome to the 24th century did you guys notice that in the neutral zone picard is also telling the humans there welcome to the 24th century and in the emissary Worf is telling the klingons welcome to the 24th century yeah yep (laughs) i never i never noticed that until i watched them together but like they're using the exact same phrase i never noticed it until i watched them together either yeah (laughs) so but it becomes really obvious like oh in every episode, they're telling them welcome to the 24th century. Yeah. And actually, Janeway says that to Henry Starling in Future's End. But the other, the other thing on all is because Rasmus is from the past, when they're sentenced him mm-hmm. to the penal colony on New Zealand, does he get time off because he's like from the past? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think they just talk about, yeah, he's, I, I mean, he's committed this crime that'll have to do some time for and that historians might be very interested to talk to him. I just leave it at that. I mean, what does he go off and do at this point? They probably just put him on a science vessel and study him. <laughs> wow. Like a zoo or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would, I mean, that what kind, I mean, really would he be bound to um, all the laws against, uh, I mean, I, obviously, you know, he, he, um, uh, in a sense, stole the ship and and all that. But I mean, well, he's stealing the stuff and he's conspiring to change the future or to change their present from the past. Yeah, so. and he's also um, yeah. theoretically he could alter the timeline. Yeah, I guess. he would definitely alter the timeline if he came back with that stuff. Yeah. So the, but he's he he's yeah. dangerous. I guess in that way. Yeah. But then you got the other example, um, Star Trek Four, um, where she goes off to a science vessel with three hundred years of catch up learning to do. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yes, Rasmus is going to go to a penal colony or whatever to serve time for what he's done. But when he comes out, they've then got to bring him 200 years up to speed. Yeah. I'm sure yeah, he, they've got a database in the uh, in the penal colony. Yeah, with schematics on it. Yeah, with schematics. <laughs> Here's how you really build it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we have uh, one more episode to, to talk about. It's the briefest example that we have but i did want to talk about it uh, a little bit and it's about uh it happens in cause and effect the season five episode which i probably don't need to give a summary about except the time loop episode in tng um but at the end of that after they're out of of the time loop uh, a ship um appears that is from i think it's 90 years before the bozeman with captain bateson and they're gonna have to bring him up to speed for what's going on in, in the, in the 24th century. Uh, I mean, so it's a very brief part, like the last minute of the episode. Do you feel like, uh, Colin, that it adds to the episode to have that, or was it not necessary to include that, that bit at the end? No, I think it adds to it. I think it adds to it, especially from, from the fandom point of view, because, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Bozeman is very much a reliant class. Mm-hmm. Um, or a Miranda class to give it to proper designation. Um, and as soon as you see, you know it's old. So that's true. That, Even before you see them on the bridge, you know the yeah, era. You know from that's an old design of ships. Straight away, you, you, 
you know, mm. from a fan perspective, you look at that shit and think, man, that's old. You know, and even, even before you, I mean, you see it hit the Enterprise is it three times. They they actually collide. four actually four, it happens yeah. four times before they get out of it in the fifth. Yeah, loop. and then you see that shit, and you're thinking, yeah, that that is that's the Reliant. It's from the Reliant era. Mm-hmm. So that's a nice, to, yeah, that does add to it. And then obviously when you get the reveal and they're on the bridge and they're wearing the, the TOS movie uniforms. Um, and it's it's nice to know that, that Fraser gave up psychology and uh, became a starship captain. <laughs> yeah, or at least his descendant that looks yeah. exactly like Well, him. yeah, in Star Trek, everyone everyone looks the same. <laughs> you know, it's like... I think it's cool and I think it, it really adds to it. Uh, what do you think, Richard? Yeah, I think it adds to it. I mean, I, I, I like this episode. I mean, um, the figure it out and everything. And uh, yeah, it's I think it's a great episode. Plus, you know, we get to see Riker do his um, his leg lift and everything. <laughs> is, yeah, and and to have the correct answer when Data doesn't, which is unusual. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> I, I like it a lot as, as an episode. Okay, I, I want to try to talk about something that I think has been a point of confusion sometimes. Mm. So for for the Bozeman that's that's been in this this causality loop, we know the Enterprise says they've spent, you know, 17 days going through these loops. Do you think that the Bozeman has actually spent like 90 years doing whatever it's doing in a loop? Or is it the same 17 days the Enterprise is and it's just also jumps forward in time 90 years? I think they jump forward in time. Yeah, because otherwise they would have ninety years of having the same deja vu that the Enterprise crew had. Right, and the Enterprise not being there and not hitting them, which I don't, because I've I've seen some people say like, oh, that the Bozeman spent ninety years in the loop, but I don't think that's what actually happens. No, because no, I don't they, think, no, it's got to it's got to be it's got to be basically a tunnel in time that brings mm-hmm. the Bozeman forward, because like you said, they 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 couldn't collide with the Enterprise in the past because it didn't exist. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's almost like you're right. Like there's this tunnel. They something happens. They enter that tunnel. They come out. They hit the Enterprise, and it resets things. So they go back to the beginning of that tunnel, and the Enterprise goes back to where they were before, and yeah. just repeats in that part of space. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. Think. I agree with that. Yeah, it it definitely because um, like they were they were ha- they, yeah, like you said they were experiencing deja vu. I mean, throughout the you know, and they were only in there for five day or five loops, and the. the well, that we saw. It's probably more than that. Well, yeah. Okay, so let's just say it doesn't or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah. But the Bozeman would have you know, been like experts at, at this. I mean, each day, um, wh- whenever it starts, I'm sure they'll be like, oh, God, what are we doing now? <laughs> you know, sort of thing. Yeah, and people start picking. Actually, I think it's Beverly Crusher that first picks up that there's something odd going on. Yeah, the poker right? guy. Yeah, at the poker game, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they they don't have a Beverly Crusher on the Bozeman to figure these things out, I guess, because they seem to have no idea that anything is wrong, right? Right. No, I mean they just come out and get hailed, and they say basically, "Who are you?" Yeah, you know. like what do you do? now? One thing, like in rewatching it this time, I thought, why wasn't part of the reaction from Captain Bateson like the Enterprise? You're not the Enterprise, right? Because they would know, I think at that point, it would be, maybe it's not the Enterprise A yet. But anyway, <laughs> seeing the Enterprise D, they'd be like, they would have to think something's wrong. Like, this is not the Enterprise they know, right? Mm-hmm. No, you, you would think, given the uniforms that they're wearing, it would be the, the A. 
Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we're not familiar with your ship. And I'm thinking, like, you're also not familiar with the uniforms. <laughs> it's odd that they didn't add that, right? But, but anyway, I mean, it's just this, this brief part. I think it does add a lot into thinking about, you know, how they might adjust. So, I mean, how do you think that this, this crew adjusts to being in the 24th century now, uh, Colin? Um, I think because the Starfleet they had to make the transition okay. Um, you know, because the Academy teaches, we know from other episodes, the Academy teaches temporal mechanics. Um, so I think the, the Starfleet officers, uh, they'll be all right. You know, some of them are probably doing an awful lot of back pay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I dare say you're going to have the same thing in the other episode that, you know, when they went into mm-hmm. that loop, um, was it 80 or 90 years? So obviously certain people in their lives will have died. Yeah. From natural causes, so they would have had to deal with that. Um, uh, the captain of the Bozeman is probably getting mad instant admiral because, you know, time served. Um, <laughs> well, we established he was they were only in a time loop for 17 days, so they only need to be paid for 17 extra days of service. Damn, you're an accountant, man. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I I see what you mean. It, I mean, it, they'd have to figure all that out. Yeah, but it's I mean it's also interesting. I mean, you, you say like they get the repetition of like you know they know where the cards come in and stuff like that. But the other the other side of this this particular episode is the fact that they filmed this five times. So yeah. the actors had to do the same things five times. So when they're doing it at the end and they're getting you know, I, I personally think if they filmed it in sequence. When I when I did it the fifth time, I think that that was genuine apathy on their parts because I've done this five times now. <laughs> I think there must be a celebration, like yes, we've done the fifth time. But I mean, like for as a viewer, I think it, it is interesting to watch because you know Jonathan Frakes as a director has different angles and different you know parts of the scene that he's filming. But for the actors, yeah, it's probably like gotta do this again and again and again. Yeah. So, so how do you two feel it would have gone if, if Kirstie Alley was in it as Savick? I don't know. I mean, I I would have loved to see that. So was it just that she wasn't available? No, she wanted to too much money. Mm. Uh. I I mean, it, it would have been it would have been interesting. I mean, of course, if that would have uh, happened, <laughs> you know, we we had Kirstie Alley in in Star Trek two, but then Robin Curtis in three and four, and I don't know, but. I would have liked to see it and it would have been interesting. But also I think if you did that, then you should have some kind of follow-up, <laughs> right? Where you see where, what's happening with the Bozeman and with Savick because that's a character people would be, you know, very interested to see much more so than Bateson who they didn't know before. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, what do you think Richard, if it was Kirstie Alley as Savick on that ship? I don't know, to be quite honest. Um, that's an interesting qu- uh, question. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, that's that's. I I. It, she wasn't going to be the captain. I I, I really don't know. <laughs> I mean, I like the idea. I mean, it's in universe. It would have created a problem though, because this ship was from I want to say, was it twenty two seventy eight? Yeah, and you see Savick in Star Trek two, three, and four, and I think that those take place after that time. Is that right? think so i mean me personally i think it would have detracted from the reveal mm, okay because you would have been distracted by that like oh my god it's savage oh yeah. wait what what happened oh like in the or like in the credits or something like that i hate that he would have done that 
you know, Kelsey Grammer comes on the screen and Savick's standing next to him and you're straight away not listening to Captain because you're uh, thinking, oh my God, that's Savick. I think that's definitely true. It would have been, it would have been distracting. You know, well, like, I wanted to like finish the up the... Um, oh, no, go ahead. Star Trek Discovery. The Enterprise flies in. Mm-hmm. You know, the Enterprise is only on screen for like five seconds, ten seconds. Yet social media went into meltdown. You know, it would have been like that with Savick on that bridge. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I could see that. It would definitely distract from what's going on in in this particular episode, and you, and then to go into the next one and wonder what would happen. I mean, the thing with Discovery though is, I mean, they're going to follow it up, and you're going to see what what happens. So, but if it was just Savick there for you know thirty seconds, just standing there, yeah, I don't know if it would have really added. Now that I no, think about and it. the other thing is, is as, as a general rule, TNG is episodic rather than serialized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they, I mean, they have gone back to other stuff, but that was towards the end of the run. Um, yeah. In the early part of the run, it was it was box episodes, basically sandbox episodes. Mm-hmm. So definitely, I think it would have created more problems than they they would have realised. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to mention to wrap up the discussion about cause and effect is there was actually a novel that followed what happened to uh, the Bozeman after this episode is called Ship of the Line, which. Darren Moser, who was a, a co-host of Roll Gray for many years, was a big fan of. Um, it, it's an interesting novel to, because you see what happened to the Bozeman on the other side in the 23rd century and then going into the 24th century. Um, and then, you know, part of what they're doing actually, or Bateson is doing, is to help design the Enterprise E, which is kind of interesting. So it has its issues, but people might want to check it out if they're curious about, you know, what happens to the crew so after that. Do you think that- the Bozeman in um, First Contact is a different Bozeman then? I think the reference is meant to be to the same Bozeman. The same Bozeman. When, I think you're talking about when there's some kind of chatter about, you know, who's at the battle with the, yeah, the Borg in First the Contact. The, Bozeman, the Bozeman's in um, All Good Things and First Contact. Yeah. I, I think I think it's meant to refer to the same one, as far as I know. Mm. Yeah, but I've forgotten about that reference. <laughs> There's a bit of a reference. Later. I mean, it would make sense. I mean, you'd throw every ship you had at the Borg. Yeah, definitely. You know, even when it was 80 years old, you would literally throw every ship you had. Yeah, I think that that would make sense. Well, and of course, you know, in the Dominion War in DS9, we see some quite old-looking ships that are pressed yeah, into I mean, service. You, you see um, Excelsior-class ships in the yeah. battles. You know, and Defiance actually goes up against an Excelsior on one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. They're around. Still. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Richard, your final thoughts on the topic we've talked about today with people from the past ending up in the future. I love this um, this episode. I really do. It's um, It was fun to think about it. Uh, uh, just like... You know, it was like, oh my, uh, you know, you know, first when we thought about it, I was like, oh, okay, you know, it's people stuck in the past, okay, or from the past into the future, and, and you know, but and then, but when I started watching, rewatching again, and then thinking about it, it's actually a very interesting um, topic to to be discussing because it's, I mean, there's so many possibilities that could happen with the, uh, with these as we just discussed for like an hour, <laughs> but like, I, I absolutely love this episode, uh, this, this episode. It's great. Great job. <laughs> thanks for coming. Thanks for coming up with it. Oh, excellent. So, um, Colin, your final thoughts on what we've talked about today. Yeah. Well, as I said, I start, I love time travel. Um, 
I did three episodes of TNV back to back on all time travel episodes. If anyone wants to check them out on the Trek FM feed, um, and also we, apart from obviously Rasman, most of these people don't have a negative downside to being left in the future. Um, you know, just as we said, like the, the Bozeman officers would adapt. Um, the people who were cryogenically frozen, they they seem, they would eventually adapt. Um, so there's no adverse uh, effects. But will the to Klingons the adapt? Yeah, and I think I think I mean you know, given the situation now, I think if you said to a lot of people, I'm going to take AQ 300 years into the future, I think quite a lot of people would go for it. You know. I mean, it might depend. I think people would be more likely to go for it if they didn't have any, you know, personal connections, you know, spouse, children, things yeah, like that. Or big credit card debt or something like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of credit card debt to be frozen yeah. over. <laughs> yeah, but you're all right in the future because there's no more money. So they're not going to yeah. chase you for it. Yeah. I mean, there there, there might be people like, you know, uh, Jillian Taylor and Star Trek Four that are like, I got nothing here. I'll go 300 or a couple hundred years into the future. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so I would. I'd go for it. I'm not sure if I would. Actually. Yeah, I would. no, I would. I, I would. I would want to visit and see what things are like, but I don't know if I'd want to stay there. I don't know. Well, it doesn't have to be a one-way ticket. <laughs> yeah. You know, That's like, true. I mean, although it is a one-way ticket for these people. It is a one-way ticket for these people, yeah. I should mention at this point that we're, we're, we've been focused on people that end up in the future, like permanently. So we didn't talk about something like yesterday's enterprise where people come into the future and then they go back into the past. So that was why we didn't talk about Round something trip. like that. <laughs> Round trip, right. I was more interested in people that are just kind of stuck there and how they might have to deal with yeah. it. So. But I mean, as, you know, for the most part, they all, they, all, they all don't have any adverse effects to it. So and it, it would have been interesting to do a follow-up on some of them to mm-hmm. see if... You know, it would have been interesting to, like, for argument's sake, if they could have weaved the Bozeman into a storyline somewhere along to see how that crew adapted. And then you could have used that as a reflection point. Mm. Um, I think that would that would have been a good thing to do. But, yeah, I mean, time travel, as I said, endless possibilities. Um, and it's also, it, it gives them a chance, um, especially with, with Emissary, it gives them a chance to reflect social issues. You know, in Emissary, you've got greed, um, drugs, and family, you know. I oh, mean the neutral zone. The neutral zone. Sorry, yeah. Um, you got greed, drugs, and family, and the, basically mm. the idea is if we took you into the future, which one of these things would affect you? Mm-hmm. So you know, that's that's Star Trek being Star Trek being social issues. But yeah, I I enjoyed all these episodes, and like you know, like Richard said, great topic to come up with. So thanks for having. Oh, oh, excellent. So yeah, for my final thoughts, when I came up with this topic, I. Uh, wasn't exactly sure uh, if it would work or if we'd have enough to talk about, but I think there was more than, more than enough to to talk about, and we probably could have talked more about about some of these uh, these episodes. So I I enjoyed it quite a bit. I always love uh, time travel uh, as well, like you do, Colin. So any opportunity to talk about it is 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 great. So yeah, thanks so much for being here, Colin. Uh, where can listeners find you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter on C-O-L-M-H-0-1. Um, that's probably the best place to get me, to be honest. And the Trek News and Views Twitter account is up and running. That's Trek News Views on Twitter. Um, so feel free to follow that. And it's basically pure Star Trek stuff. So it's trivia, birthdays, images, um, 
any tidbits I can gather around, I'll, I'll tweet on the, the Trek News and Views uh, Twitter feed. So, you know, give that a follow. Excellent. Yeah, and I'll second that. I, I follow Trek News and Views on, on Twitter, and there's lots of great stuff that you put up there that's Star Trek related. So, all right, excellent. Well, thanks so much for being here today. We appreciate you guesting on the show and uh, giving us your opinions on these episodes. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. And um, anytime someone else goes on a, a sabbatical, I'm here. <laughs> excellent thanks so much so we wanted to give you a preview of next week so our guest will be nick anastasio and we will be covering our favorite badass picard moments i think we're looking forward to this one right richard that's right we're, uh, oh, we're yeah. gonna put on our tank tops and freaking go guns blazing <laughs> <laughs> i wonder how many of the moments will be from the movies as opposed to the episodes <laughs> Pro- probably the movies yeah it's not like it's not like jane way you know where she copies him you know down the mm. corridor with the rifle <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we'll be talking about uh next week i think we'll have a good time doing that and also here's your chance to prepare to give us what your favorite uh, badass picard moments are well it's been so fun talking about people from the past ending up in the future on the next generation but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network here's what you might have missed elsewhere on trek fm Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. As for Star Trek X-Men, I remember seeing those books when I was a kid, like actual novels, and I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> and I still hold to that. I really think that's odd, honestly, when you mix together properties like that, like Star Trek Planet of the Apes, or, you know, uh, Star Trek Doctor Who, and uh, Batman Ninja Turtles, right? It's like, well, these these things exist in their own universe for a reason. That's why I, I don't really ever care to see a Star Trek Star Wars crossover. I really don't. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Her kind of redemption with, with Sarah giving her the... Um the commander badge and Tilly being promoted and Stamets, you know, holding Culver's medal. It, it made me cry. I thought it was a beautiful thing that they did in that last scene. And they, they had that kind of threaded through with uh, with Burnham telling the, the story about the soldier and the general. I, the 602 Club. Actually, I would say this is probably my favorite of the stories uh, because there's the civilization that Luke visits and they have a relationship with the Force, which they call the Tide. Warp 5. It was in the episode A Night in Sickbay. Oh my goodness. Where Archer tells that story about how he got Porthos, because that whole episode is about him trying to get some sleep, while also worrying about whether Porthos is going to survive the night. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the de- or the desktop iTunes app to get your latest episodes as soon as uh, as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place is to to join the larger conversation is the 
Babel Conference. Our listener group, uh, listeners group on Facebook. Just type in Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. So, Richard, where can people contact you when you're not caught in a temporal causality loop? Well, when I get out of it, <laughs> um, they can find me on Facebook. Uh, I pop in here and there on the Babel Conference, you know, stir a little bit, but that's uh, that's pretty much about it. Um, but, like, the, uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. My handle is xransom. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not pretending to be from the future? Well... You know, I'll have to pretend to be from the future and see... Well, no, it wouldn't work as well as it did for Rasmus, and never mind. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in the present. There you go. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. By the time this drops, I will be starting to tweet out my Season 5 rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norma Lau, the amazing Justin Noser, <laughs> Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Today is a good day to die! Welcome to the 24th century. <laughs>